Hey everyone, this is Scott Solari, and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Wealth Manager Podcast, where we interview successful wealth managers and financial advisors in order to learn about their journey, the obstacles they've overcome, and how you can model their approach to build your wealth management business. I am so excited to be back, and today we have an amazing guest. His name is Garrett Gunderson. Garrett is the founder and chief wealth architect of Wealth Factory, New York Times bestselling author of Killing Sacred Cows, Overcoming the Financial Myths That Are Destroying Your Prosperity, and also the bestselling author for What Would the Rockefellers Do? How Wealthy Get and stay that way and how you can too. He's a writer for Forbes.com and entrepreneur.com contributor. Garrett, he's really a master. So if you're listening right now, you need to tune in, stay tuned in because Garrett is gonna blow your mind. And the things that you're gonna learn on this is how you can approach your wealth management or financial planning business and actually help your clients act as a fiduciary and put together potentially a team of insurance agents, CPAs, attorneys to truly help your clients and generate uh, referrals that way by building a team. And this is what uh, Garrett has done at a very high level with uh, Wealth Factory. Um, but he, he gives you some tools to where you can do this maybe on a smaller scale to really start helping your clients become cash flow driven and specifically help them have cash flow management rather than focusing only on assets under management. And this is this is a great way to really, really put yourself in a place where you're focused on, on how to add more value for your clients and how to manage the risk that you're putting them uh, in front of so that they can uh, get the most bang for their buck and work their way towards having a very successful career in retirement. So stay tuned. Thank you so much again, Garrett. You're the man. And I look forward to uh, hearing your feedback on this podcast. All right. Hey, everyone. Scott Solari, and, and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Wealth Manager Podcast. I'm super excited for our guest, a gentleman I got to meet this year, earlier in the year, uh, Garrett Gunderson. Garrett, thank you so much for being here, you know, sharing this education with our audience. I appreciate it. Hey, man. Scott, good to be with you. I always love sharing this. So thanks for that opportunity. So uh, like I kind of just said a second ago, I always like to start off and ask you a little bit about your background because I think that's a really good way for our audience to kind of engage and understand who you are and how you've gotten to where you are today. Well, I started my first official business when I was 15 years old detailing cars, and then I won $5,000 with that business for being the Young Entrepreneur of the Year, and I grew up in a small enough town that I thought $5,000 was a lot of money, and unlike other people, I wanted to invest it. You know, most teenagers, they probably want to go buy something. I wanted to invest it. I wanted to become rich, so to speak, and... As I went and asked people what to do with it, I got a lot of different answers, none of which would have necessarily led me to being rich. And then when I finally turned 18 was the first time I actually invested some of that money because my mom wouldn't sign off as a custodian. Uh, but unfortunately, the very first investment I did was a VUL. Well, I was 18 years old, so variable universal life that I like to refer to it as very ugly life because it was high, high expense, you know. And they were showing me this ridiculous return, like 18% into perpetuity. So off a mere 70 bucks a month, I'd be a multimillionaire. And fortunately, I was in an econometrics class. I did the research, did a thesis on it, and I figured out 
through Monte Carlo simulations and other things that I had no chance of ever getting that rate of return, almost none. And for it to even work out as minimally funded as I had it, that it wasn't going to work out very well for me. And so that led on this quest of just asking where I should put my money, what good recommendations there would be. And I got offered an internship, which, look, man, the internship is what they called it. What it really was was, hey, come and bring your family and friends to this firm so that we could sell them products like life insurance and mutual funds and split commissions because I didn't realize I was just a little tool from a marketing standpoint, right? But it still got me involved in the financial world. It still got me to ask certain questions. And it was in the year 2000 when the market started to go down that I actually, between you know March and May, got all my clients but one out of the stock market and they didn't have you know losses the next couple of years and I owe that to an early mentor Steve Harrop who was a fund manager that managed five billion dollars in muni bonds and was pretty much the number one ranked guy he was one of my professors so I started financial services when I was 19 years old a lot of my clients were like mom and dad and grandma and grandpa so it felt good to get most of them out before the losses it didn't feel so good to tell them I didn't know what the hell I was doing which I had to admit and uh, that really led me down a completely different trajectory and path when it came to the world of money and finance. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that story, though, because it's much better than a lot of the, what the other people did that thought they knew what they were doing and kept money in the market and, and lost a lot of it. So at least there's that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think that, you know, like I was tired of hearing those cliches like, oh, tell them the market's on sale and, you know, tell them they're in it for the long haul and now's the time to buy and all this kind of stuff. I, I mean, I think that a lot of financial people – don't want to admit when they're wrong because they think that somehow that's going to chip away at the mantle of authority and credibility. But by not being open enough to say, hey, is there a better way? Or what would I do differently if I had to do it over? Or what do I really know and what do I really control? If they ask questions like that, it would transform how they could, you know, connect with their customers and serve them at a different level. Because when I asked those questions, I stopped doing assets under management. I stopped selling mutual funds and in Instead, I started looking at where I could create certainty, where I could improve cash flow. And I found out there was all these neglected areas like, you know, people weren't helping people get a better credit score in the financial world unless they were like these credit commercials on consolidation, which wasn't really a lot of help. It was like desperation. And by improving a credit score, people can get better interest rates or turning around and finding out where they're overpaying on tax. If they're overpaying on tax and I find that for them, that was guaranteed returns or guaranteed money in their pocket. And, and then I started, you know, questioning the very world that I came from and saying, how many fees are people paying inside of retirement? plans and are they actually helping them out or hurting them? What about building cash flow? Because all these banks and financial institutions, they're in the business of cash flow. Yet, they preach and financial advisors teach the business of accumulation, which a lot of time isn't helpful, especially for a business owner. So I kind of became the guy that dealt with all the areas that was being neglected, and I started just charging a what I call a results-based tuition. So they just wrote me checks rather than me get money off of their money or rather than me work primarily for commission like I started out in my career by selling life insurance and mutual funds. And that's really how I started to build my business. Yeah, I, I love that, man. I, and I, I love how they're paying you, you know, a fee, essentially, rather than commissions, because it's like, hey, this is the value that you're bringing this, you know, based on what you're able to do for them, right? And so it goes back to you being essentially a fiduciary for them and, and taking care of them. So let's talk about, because, uh, you know, when I, when I talk to a lot of advisors, or a lot of advisors that are listening probably, are so concerned about, you know, making the right investment for their client, when it's really 
really about how the cash flow, like he says. So let's talk a little bit more about cash flow management and like what you what you do and how you help your clients identify these different things to to really put the most money in their pocket and help them get to where they're going. Yeah, well, I'd be happy to. I just started looking at when financial institutions are doing what they're supposed to do, meaning <laughs> pre two thousand six. Because there was a there was a time that we all know where a lot of mortgage people would say, oh, we're going to do a stated income loan, which really meant we're going to lie about your income and get this loan anyway. And so if we take that off the table because they definitely violated their rules, banks are in the business of cash flow. I mean, they incentivize people with lower interest rates to increase the payment they make to the bank by shortening a mortgage, for example, or shortening a car loan. There's usually a higher interest rate the longer the loan. Why? Because they want cash flow. And what's funny is if someone goes to buy a home, well, they have to pay for an appraisal. And the bank's the one that's asking for the appraisal, not necessarily the individual. The bank's trying to protect themselves. They're looking at someone's credit score. They're looking at someone's taxes. You know, And then if someone doesn't put at least 20% down, they're charging private mortgage insurance. You know, uh, And that's all ways to mitigate their risk and manage their risk. They're looking at, okay, is this person worthy of being, you know, lending to? And if they default, what do we have to protect ourselves. I wish that more people in the investing world would think that way. But most importantly, if you think more like a bank, then you start thinking about cash flow. I mean, think about the returns. If if the bank right now is paying 1% on a savings account, which would actually be high for most of them, right? Or for all of them, for that matter. And they can turn around and lend that money out for 3%. That looks like a 2% spread. But the reality is if I could buy something for a dollar and charge $3 for it, that's hundreds of percent of markup. And so the banks have an incredibly profitable structure where they're thinking about managing and mitigating risk and they're thinking about cash flow. Banks wouldn't stay in business if they put all their money in retirement plans because it's not liquid enough. It's not creating cash flow. And so I want people to think more like a bank and think more about cash flow because rather than forgetting about the money, setting it aside, budgeting, hoping that the market's going to get them there, what if on the other hand, they just started to focus on what they could do to create cash flow today that was recurring in nature and so that they could cover their expenses with their cash flow and know whether it's working or not based upon if it's coming in or not. Now, all of a sudden, rather than waiting for 30 years or age 65 and hoping that compound interest would get them there, I would want them to focus on the income statement more than the balance sheet. In the world of finance, almost everyone's focused on the balance sheet when it comes to investing. Hey, let's build net worth. Let's build these assets up. Let's make sure that none of these liabilities eat you alive. But the, pro- the problem is when they get to retirement, now they've got to be experts at the income statement. What is their you know, income versus their expenses? And that income is usually coming from something other than their job or their business, like a retirement portfolio, but that's pretty volatile because if taxes go up, their income goes down. Or if interest rates don't cooperate, which they really haven't for a long time, and they remain low, then it takes a lot a bigger amount of money to help replace their income. And this is why a lot of people are not financially independent when they get to retirement years. And then inflation starts to confiscate their wealth over time. I mean, I think it's problematic to only have people focused on accumulation because it doesn't have them prepared for cash flow when the time comes. Sure, they might change their asset allocation. Sure, they might go to more fixed income instruments over something that's more volatile like an equity instrument. But at the same time, they still do don't know exactly what they're doing, and it puts an awful lot of pressure on the financial professional. So what if you can help them by finding out where they're inefficient? What if you could help them by building and constructing a team to support them of attorneys and accountants and investment advisors and even cash flow specialists or insurance professionals? That's the jam, I guess, so to speak, because 
<laughs> the family offices in the world have all of that for the person that's worth 50 million or 100 million or more. But when that translates down to the rest of the world, a lot of those pieces are missing. But that's kind of one of the secret ingredients that the Rockefellers had to perpetuate and sustain wealth, is they had an amazing financial team. And I also think as financial advisors, we have to admit where we're strong and where we're not. Where is it that we can, you know, because not one person can be an expert in everything. You can't know everything there is to know about the law and about taxes and about investments and about, you know, cash flow and about insurances. That's an overwhelming amount of information. It's hard to keep up on any one of those segments, let alone all five of those segments I mentioned. So I know I just went off for a while. But it's cash flow management first. It's second, looking at all the areas that are neglected. And I really wish that advisors would stop calling things financial plans if they're not a financial plan. If, it, if it's just a retirement plan, that's not a financial plan. A financial plan needs to look at someone's car insurance, homeowners, liability, disability, medical, life insurance, business owner policies. All their investments have ways to manage and mitigate the risk so that there's downside protection. Looking at all of their loans, are they structured properly? Do they have the best interest rates? Do they have the right credit score? I mean, I can kind of go on. We can get into asset protection. We can get into estate planning. You know, we can get into corporate structure. And I see so many people that tell me they have a financial plan, yet there's so many of these components that aren't working in, co- you know, in cohesion and, and that aren't coordinated or that they're just neglected and they're not handled. You know, and there's a lot of people out there just with, you know, standing on one leg instead of two, so they only have half the power financially because it's not a plan. It was a retirement plan. I think that we've got to change some of the semantics there. Yeah, so I'm, I'm standing here listening to you, and I'm, and I'm thinking there's probably some financial advisors right now completely overwhelmed being like, yeah, I'm not doing any of that. I'm only doing, like, one of the 20 things you just listed. What, what would you say to them to say, like, where should they start to, to really maybe start trying to help their clients put a financial plan in place? What would you suggest them doing? Obviously, we know that what you do as an amazing entrepreneur and the business that you've built, you have all these the lawyers, the accountants, the people working working as a team to help your clients. For an advisor out there that's maybe working at a, at a firm or is independent, like what do you suggest they do to try to really help their, their clients that they're working with? Look, it's what I'm saying, I get why a lot of people don't do it. It's not easy, right? Yeah. It's not easy. When I first went into a family office, I'm in my early 20s and was like, this is how it should be. Everyone should have this. Little did I know how difficult that was actually going to be. Right. So now yeah. I'm out there trying to vet and find, you know, attorneys that will agree and communicate with the accounts. I, just before we did this, I was on a call with one of our clients that's becoming really, really successful right now. And on that call, we had an attorney with an investment advisor. We had an insurance specialist on the life insurance side. We had an insurance quarterback that was looking at the disability and the other type of stuff that way. You know, um, we didn't have the accountant on the phone, which normally that would be the case. Uh, and then there was me. So there's, a, there's like six people plus the client on the call making sure everything's coordinated, that there's flow charts of how this all works. Like that's, it's tough to find those individuals. But you know what? It's worth doing. It took me a long time, but now that I do it, my price went from the very first time I charged someone a fee 
it was some ridiculous little amount like 2500 bucks to our program is $25,000 right now. So it's 10 times more, but we're not getting paid when they meet with the attorney. We're getting paid to give them access to that attorney and paying the attorney to do the analysis, right? We're paying the investment advisor so that they can actually give them real due diligence rather than only, you know, peddle some product that they're trying to get paid on. We're paying the cash flow specialist. So, so we're able to charge a lot more and there's a margin on everything that we charge but when it was just me it was 2500 bucks now that i have this big team of all these people so you have to start looking i mean i started looking for myself who are the best people that could help me i started sharing those with my client but then i went out and said i need the best property and casualty agent who are they look for who's out there speaking who's creating things you know reach out to them most of them want to get referrals so it's not that hard to build a relationship it's just hard to find the ones that subscribe to the same philosophy as you so i wrote a 42 question application i wrote 20 premise points which was our philosophy on investing and if someone didn't subscribe to that they couldn't get in they had to read my book killing sacred cows they had to come to one of our workshops and then we interview them for nine months yeah it's a lot of work, but at the same time, we're able to do things a lot of other financial firms cannot do because they didn't do that work. So, you know, I, I, it is a little bit harder to write for someone to write us a check than if we just automatically got paid commissions or automatically got paid on the assets under management. And I've had a number of people say I'm crazy because we don't do assets under management. There's one major reason we don't do it. There's other people that are better than at, at it than we are. And we don't know enough of what's going to happen in the market. And we don't, it doesn't really resonate with us that much. So we'll leave that to people that that's what they do. Make it part of the network rather than our core business. What we're really good at that most people don't do is help people keep more of every dollar they make without having to budget. So that's where we come in and that's where we, where we show our value. But then we bring this A team of people to make sure everything gets integrated and implemented. Now, this is so great, Gary, because it's like, you know, there's there's so many people out there that probably have the same vision as you. It's like they want to help their clients create this type of cash flow management and save as many dollars or, or help them make as many dollars as they can and keep that money. Uh, but they don't they don't know where to start or they they may be stuck in some sort of situation or a niche that they're in and, and don't realize that they need to get out of it. So I, a great way is to start surrounding yourself with these right people that you're talking about. Start creating these connections and start bringing people into the fold so you can really start helping your clients with the financial plan, right? Yep. I love it, man. What you're doing is great because, I mean, and we see the industry changing. I mean, next year, it's going to what? Fee-based only, right? In certain situations? Or I, I don't really know enough about yeah, you that. you got the fiduciary but, roles that are kind of coming in. And so, yeah, that's going to change everything up quite a bit. Right. So a as a financial advisor, if you're just, you know, you're trying to advise and you're just getting paid by fee, you need to find another way to bring more value to your clients so they stay with you and they don't run off and work with Garrett because he's going to bring everything to the table. You know, I mean, that's, I, I'm always looking at like, what can I do that adds more value? And that's the question we always have to ask. And then I also look at what can I do that has the least risk? I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people, when it comes down to investing in the market, the people that are most successful and aren't the ones that are trying to hit the home runs. It's the ones that earn their money another way and then they kind of store it there. I think a lot of poor and middle class people get their hopes up that the market's going to get them rich. But the reality is due to fees and volatility and things that happen in their life because they haven't been properly prepared. See, what I mean by properly prepared is really wealthy and affluent people that aren't just actors and artists typically have 
their protection handled. They have good asset protection. They have good liquidity. They have, you know, they, they think about transferring risk through insurance. The poor middle class almost never think about those things because they see it as a necessary evil or a cost. And so they skip that in the name of trying to invest in something to hit a home run. When that home run doesn't work out, they put themselves in harm's way. Or there's something that happens along the way that was a, a surprise that comes and confiscates their wealth and digs a hole for them. And that's why you see the middle class staying the middle class is because they're playing by broken, antiquated rules that have everything to do with cost consciousness instead of value consciousness. It has everything to do with constraint and reduction rather than production. And so infuriating to me to watch it happen because these are good people with great intentions. And I think that we have, as financial advisors, a bigger duty to go, look, you're the asset. What can you do to increase your income first and foremost? Number two, where are there inefficiencies where we can sense that up and patch that so that you're no longer leaking money rather than just asking them how much they can save, rather than just try to tell them you could do a better job managing their money than the other person that has the money, you know, because you take them golfing more often. It can't just be about relationships. That's a part of it. And unfortunately, I felt like my early training was only about building relationships and not enough on what I could do to truly impact someone's financial life. And so if you can ask your existing clients, what can you do to impact their life even deeper? What is it that they truly need? What is it they're really looking for? And then number two, is there a way that you can reach more people with that methodology or philosophy that leaves them better off because they've met you? You know, that's, uh, I've given kind of the framework. I'm not saying it's the easiest thing to implement, but it sure is easier than not doing this and finding yourself in a world where everything gets commoditized by robo-advisors or everything gets commoditized because of lack of performance and all of a sudden people are looking for different answers. Have the answers before they start asking them. We're in this disruptive world where, you know, people are mad because they bought a medallion for their taxi cab in, in New York City and then all of a sudden Uber and Lyft came out. Well, that's a disruption because there was a lot of people complaining about the cleanliness of the cabs, the, the friendliness of the drivers, and a lot of things, and now they're being rated. So I think the same thing is going to happen in the financial world. How do you get ahead of that curve? What is it that you would complain about as a customer? What is it you complain about as an advisor? And how can you do something that's better or different rather than just being in that mold of sheep where you're just going in and trying to, you know, wow someone because you've got great sales techniques or relationship techniques? What if you put it more on your results and your implementation? Yeah, I, Garrett, I love what you're saying here, too, because it's like there's so many people that are in the middle class right now that are so busy just trying to be great at what they do at their profession that they don't necessarily have time to go out and learn a lot of this stuff or figure out who they should be working with or who they should be investing with. You know, like they only have so many opportunities to meet people to say, all right, maybe I should put some money with this guy. He seems like a nice guy because they don't because we don't know. Right. And it's like. There's got to be, and I, lo I love what you're saying because I, I feel like you're right. There, there needs to be a shift in the way this is done because it's like if I stand and look at myself, I'm like, I, I don't know what to do with my, my money most of the time. You know, I, I know I need to save it and, and try to protect myself and, and have some liquid and, and make sure I have things for the rainy day. And, but, like, if I could give it or hire someone like, like you essentially or there was more people out there doing what you're doing to where I know that I'm getting all my bases covered – that's what people in the middle class need because, like you said, most most of this stuff is the Rockefeller habits, like you mentioned, is the people that are in the the wealthy class or the rich class that have access to all the right people, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, 
Uh, you know, Garrett, I really appreciate your time. Is there is there anything else that you can, you know, any final wisdom you can share with our audience? You know, if you want more of this thinking, you can go to wealthfactory.com forward slash WF resources. Some of my Forbes articles I write for Forbes are there, or even articles for Entrepreneur, but even some of our due diligence tools or our cash flow philosophy, and you can, you know, get a lot of that information. Hopefully that builds everything up in this profession. I used to run an organization called the Mission Driven Advisor. And I would do two conference calls a month and then have these in-person events, sometimes quarterly as time went on. And they became a little bit less frequent, even let advisors kind of shadow me. And the, and a lot of people say, why would you do this? Why would you share what you're doing? Like everyone's either going to copy it or they're going to go take it for their own benefit. And what I found was the opposite. People got me more involved. I built a better reputation. So I think as advisors, the more you can share abundantly with others to uplift them, you're always going to be going further ahead if you're willing to share. If you hold everything so close to the chest and you don't ever share it, then the whole world doesn't get to kind of benefit from that or it doesn't bring up the profession. And if the profession isn't brought up, then you're brought down when that profession isn't brought up. So I think, you know, my last message here is think abundantly and share abundantly and you're going to have a lot more wealth in your life. Well, you heard it here. Garrett Gunderson, thank you so much for uh, being our guest today. And um, this is another episode of the Entrepreneurial Wealth Manager Podcast. We'll see you next time.